As uh, Dwayne alluded, is the getting close to the Christmas season, and uh, I know we've probably had the radio going, and the songs have been playing and playing and playing, and uh, there's lots of popular Christmas songs. Um, he's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty and nice, right? You know, I, I could imagine the, the big man in red has to be a list person. Uh, you know, to think about that he has this responsibility to go all over the world in one night and make sure that everybody gets the presents that they need to get and that all those naughty kids get all the coal filled up in their stockings, right? Um, I, I have to imagine he's a very detailed, organized, planning type of person. Uh, how, how many of you are list people? Any, any people? I, I'm a list guy. I, I like to make my list. I feel much better. Actually, it wasn't until I had my whiteboard in the office that I felt settled because then I could start making my lists uh, and trying to, to go through those tasks. And, you know, and I feel good when I cross that stuff off, right? There, there's something special about, about that. But the Bible has a whole lot of lists as well. Uh, but the list that the Bible has are not quite like Santa's list or, or not quite like the to-do list that we often have. More often than not, a lot of the lists that we see in the scriptures uh, are really uh, genealogies, right? It's, it's a list of, of family tree, if you will. Uh, and when we look at those lists in the scriptures, I'm pretty sure that many of you don't look at them and get very excited. I mean, I've never had anybody ever come up to me and say, hey, pastor, if you really could do a study in the book of Numbers, that would really just generate my heart for the Lord. I mean, I've really been craving, you know, somebody to really go through all of those names and all those tribes. I, I really would, would just, I, I've never had anyone, nor have I ever heard anyone say that to any pastor uh, in all reality. And, and I'm sure that probably when you get to one of those lists, I don't think many of us stop and go, I'm actually going to start reading through this. I'm pretty sure you start to figure out where does the list end, and then you just hop right to the end of that. Uh, because, again, they're, they're not very exciting, right? They're, they're oftentimes pretty, pretty boring, and, and let's be honest, um, they're pretty hard to pronounce a lot of those names, right? So if this is your first time today, uh, you are in luck because we are going to go through a whole bunch of lists in the Bible today, uh, and you're going to listen to me uh, awkwardly try to pronounce each and every one of those names as we go through. Okay, so you're in for a real treat, and if you try to get up and leave now, I know why you're leaving, all right? So now you have to stay in your seat, right? No, but in all seriousness, though, when, when we look at the scriptures, God has said to us in 2 Timothy, uh, he, he said, listen, he said, all scripture is God breathed. I have put all scripture in place and it's there for a reason. It's there to help teach and to correct and to rebuke. So there has to be some purpose that God laid out constantly all of these lists that we just continue to brush over and ignore. And that's what we want to try to figure out today is the list that we see, especially in Matthew and Luke, as we look at the birth of Christ, why has God put them in there? What benefit does it have for us? And so we're looking at types of Christmas. 
Uh, and as I spoke about last week, as we introduced the sermon again, biblical typology is the idea that something in the Old Testament is setting us up for understanding something in the New Testament. And so last week we looked at Elijah the prophet, that he is the voice, he's the messenger that's to come, and that sets up the stage for John the Baptist. And both of them, again, were forerunners to the Messiah, to Jesus Christ. It's just that John was the first coming and Elijah will then become the second when he returns uh, to redeem his people ultimately for the end. But, but as we look at the lists, this is going to help us to understand why are these lists here and to understand this connection of the promise that was made to the promise that's fulfilled with the birth of Christ. Now, before I get to Matthew and Luke, let me go through some of these lists in the Old Testament, just so that way you can see a wide swath and try to really get a sense of, okay, why again is God putting these into the scripture? So in Genesis 46, um, it talks about all of the individuals that went down to Egypt. Remember, there's a famine and Joseph's been down there and it lists all the people that's going to go down. Genesis 49, Jacob blesses his sons, which ultimately become the 12 tribes. And he talks about how he blesses each one. Exodus 6, it talks about all of the heads of the family that are going to be coming out of Egypt. Numbers 2 lays out how all of the tribes are to be arranged around the tabernacle, right? This temple where God is. Number, number seven is all the offerings that are brought. Uh, number 26 is really a long list of the different heads of families and the different tribes. And it's actually a population count where in each of those lists, he says, and this is how many people are part of this tribe of Israel. Numbers 34 lays out some tribal boundary lines that as you go back into the promised land, this is going to be your area to live in. Uh, and Deuteronomy 33, that is Moses is preparing to see the end of his life and as the rest of Israel is getting ready to go into the promised land, he lays out a blessing for each one of those tribes. Now there's more. There's more. I thought you were like, oh my goodness, if we only had some more. <laughs> Don't worry, as I said, there's a whole lot more lists that you probably realized. Uh, Genesis 13 to 19. So this is several chapters where, remember we just said how in, in Numbers 34, this is the boundary lines. Joshua goes a little bit more into detail now that they've come into the promised land. They've taken over their enemies. And now he's like, okay, remember we said everybody gets what? Let's just clarify again. Here's what each part of the property belongs to each one of you. First Chronicles chapters one through seven gives an entire genealogy of Adam through the 12 tribes. So he starts at the beginning and he lists all these people. Second Samuel 23. First Chronicles 11 talks about David's mighty men. Uh, and First Chronicles also has some lists about who gets to serve in the different temples. And then after the Israelites uh, have, have split. So again, remember, they're going to split at one point between the northern and southern kingdom. Both of them get taken over by the Assyrians and the Babylonians and they're brought into captivity. Well, when they finally are brought back into the promised land, we see in Ezra chapters 1 and 2 and Ezra chapter 10, along with Nehemiah 7, it gives us a list of all of those people that have been brought back from captivity. Okay, so what have I just done for you? I've just given you a list of lists. 
And I'm sure, again, a lot of you are like, when is this list going to end, right? This isn't really quite generating anything for me spiritually at this moment. Well, we have to understand that these lists are extremely important because each one of these lists is an identifier. Remember what I said? It's, it, many of these are, are genealogy. It's an identifier to say who is part of God's family. It's like each one of these people has been given an ID card and they're supposed to carry that around so that wherever they go, they would be reminded that they are God's children. And more importantly, part of this reason as an identifier is because what we see in Genesis chapter 15. God talks to Abraham and he makes some promises to him. And this is one of the promises that he says. He says, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. God made a promise to Abraham, and he said, this land is going to belong to my children. And what we need to know is that when they come back, who are his children? Who are entitled to that land that I had made a promise to Abram? So in some regards, this passage here and all of those lists almost functions like a property deed that we can look at the list. We can look at the boundary lines and say, you belong over there. You belong over there. You belong down there. I don't see your name in the list. I'm sorry. I don't know who you are. It's kind of like every time there's a list, it's like Mother Duck stops to count her little, chi her little ducklings. Do I have all of them? Right? Or how many of you have gone on a field trip before, especially with elementary kids? Right? You, 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 every, every kid gets the lanyard with the name tag. And every time you go from exhibit to exhibit, you're like, all right, let's gather around. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Got them all. Right? You know, we go to the next one. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Who's, who's missing? Where's Jimmy? Where's Jimmy? Jimmy? J oh, there's Jimmy. Right? Th that's what these lists are essentially doing for us. It's constantly giving us a head count of who are God's children. And now this becomes extremely important when we get to Matthew 1 and we get to Luke chapter 23. So you can flip over to Matthew 1 and then you can also flip over to Luke chapter 3. Now, I'm not going to read through this entire list. All right. I know some of you might be a little disappointed. You were really hoping to test my, my scholar skills to see how well I can pronounce names, but I'm not going to do that. But, but I want you just to quickly look at each set of lists. Okay, so look at the, look at the list in Matthew chapter 1. Notice how it's structured, how it's laid out. And then after you've done that, I want you to flip over to Luke chapter 3. And you can go to Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 23. And then take a look at that list as well. Again, just to kind of give yourself a sense of what each list just looks like on the surface. Now, as you are looking at these two lists, you might quickly start to realize something. These lists are not the same. And this is not uncommon that in the world that does not uh, appreciate or value uh, or stand for Christ, this world will often say, look, 
This Bible is a hoax. It's a fake. Look at these two lists that talk about the birth of Christ. They're completely different. There's no way that this Bible could be true, could be the word of God, if all of these names are completely different. Clearly, Christianity is a hoax. Well, anytime we come across what may seem to be a contradiction in our minds, it becomes extremely important for us to try to rationalize and try to understand what is the difference and why has God done that? Because God is not a God of contradictions and God is not a liar and God is not false. God is true. So if that is the case, there is something going on with these two lists that we need to understand. So let me just start with some of the differences first, and then I'm going to talk through why we have what may seem to be some discrepancies here. That as we go through each of these, Matthew ends at Jesus while Luke starts at it. Matthew's going to take his genealogy back to Abraham and then stop, while Luke is going to go all the way back to Adam. Matthew's is much more organized into these different sections that actually, if you read kind of the end of it there in verse 17, uh, he breaks it up into these 14 generations that each one is going to connect to David. Now, understand that this list is missing a whole lot of names and that's been done on purpose. Where Luke is just very straightforward. He basically starts and is like, this was this guy's dad and that was that guy's dad and that was that. And he goes all the way back to Adam. Matthew contains a couple women while Luke contains no women. And it's interesting that the father of Joseph is Jacob, but yet in Luke, it's Heli. So does that mean Jacob had two dads? So these are some of the things that people will often point out and try again to attempt to discredit the scriptures because of these discrepancies. But I want to work through all of these here. So first off, the part about trying to understand uh, the biggest difference between Matthew and Luke is this. Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience, while Luke is writing primarily to a Greek Gentile audience. So because they have a different audience in mind when they're writing, each one is going to be crafted differently to fit to the people that they're connecting to. So if you ever notice that in Matthew, he will mention a Jewish custom, but won't talk anything about it. But if you go through the book of Luke, Luke is often providing some details as to what the actual ritual or tradition is, because he's trying to explain to a non-Jewish audience what is happening in the cultural context. Where again, Matthew's like, I don't need to explain that because everybody already knows what that point is. So with that, this is why Matthew only goes to Abraham. Because when the Jews look at their history... When the Israelites look at where they came from, all they need to know is that I came from Abraham. He is the father of the Israelites. So once I get back to that point, the Jews are like, I don't need to go anywhere else. I'm at the very beginning of my story now. Where again, Luke is deciding to go even further beyond Abraham and saying, I'm taking you all the way back to the beginning, because the Gentiles are going to look differently at this list than the Jewish people were. 
Now, with Matthew continuing to break his up into different sections, he does this as a memory technique. He says, I need you to realize that you are from David. Okay, so skipping some of these names is not a big deal to Matthew. It's just a memory device that he chunks it up. It's kind of like how we have we have phone numbers, right? You know, you have your area code and then you have the three numbers and the four. It's just a memory tool to break it up instead of just writing seven numbers straight out. That's all it is. And so Matthew is saying, look. I need you to understand something here, that not only do we connect to Abraham, but we also connect to David. And I'm going to come back to this in a moment because 2 Samuel 7 highlights in a very important part about why they are so concerned about David and then stopping at Abraham. Luke, on the other hand, has a different nature of how he goes about it. You know, if you were to look at Luke chapter 1, 1, Luke was an educated man. He was a physician. He was a doctor. And Luke 1.1 says, I'm writing an orderly account based on the witnesses that I found. Luke starts his gospel with basically telling the audience, listen, I've done a whole lot of research. And what I'm going to give you is a very neat and organized gospel. So when I give you this genealogy, it's a very neat an organized gospel for you. And so he wants to capture this very factual, historical basis of where everybody in the world has come from. And so he traces it all the way back to Adam. Now, another part, again, is the idea that Matthew includes women, why Luke does not. Now, you have to understand what Matthew did by including women That was actually a cultural faux pas. That was a cultural violation. The fact that Matthew put women into a genealogy. Again, you have to understand that for much of history in ancient times, typically it was the men that had the recognitions. You know, the women didn't get any of that. So the fact that Matthew puts them in is a really big deal and is kind of iffy the fact that he does it. But but if you notice, four of the women that he puts in there besides Mary... Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and it says the wife of Uriah, who was Bathsheba. Now, what do we know about each one of those women? Well, Tamar was engaged in incest. Rahab was a prostitute. Ruth was a Moabite, so she was not even Jewish. She was foreign to that line. And Bathsheba, well, she was an adulteress. So Matthew chose for, as I said, it's already kind of scandalous of what he's done. Now he's making it even a bigger issue. Where Luke, on the other hand, decides I'm not going to start by putting any women in because, again, I'm just trying to do the historical, cultural, factual, appropriate method to capturing this genealogy. And so there's no women in that. Which then helps us to understand why does... Joseph have two dads. Because his real dad is actually Jacob. Whereas in the other line, instead of him starting with Mary, he's doing the cultural appropriate thing and basically saying, hey, Joseph's father-in-law is Heli. So what we have is a genealogy really through Joseph and another genealogy that exists 
through Mary. So we have one on the father's side and we have one on the mother's side. Now, why does that matter? Matthew wants to prove something. Matthew wants to prove that this birth, that Christ was from the royal line of David. Remember how I said he keep focusing on David? Why did that matter? Why did Jesus have to be from the royal line of David to be considered the son of God here? Well, again, this is where we go back now to 2 Samuel chapter 7. As the Lord is talking to King David, he says to him, he says, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. See, the Jews, again, when they were given this promise of a savior, of a Messiah, they were waiting and they were waiting. And then Jesus throws out another one and says, also, just to help you understand who it is, he's also going to come from the line of David. Okay, that's good, God. We appreciate that because that's going to rule out a whole lot of people when we're trying to figure out who it is. So when the Messiah would come, everybody's like, does he go back to David, though? Is he from the line of David? Because if he's not from the line of David, then he is not our Messiah. And so what Matthew is doing is saying, don't worry, Jesus has this covered. He is from the royal line of David. Now, he also goes back a step further. When we go back to Abraham, remember, we already had the promise of the land in Genesis 15. But remember how he starts the promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. He said, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. So not only is he taking Matthew, is he taking the lineage back to David, but he says we also need to go back to Abraham because this is where it got started. Because remember when God made a promise to Abraham and said, all of the world is going to be blessed. Remember when he said, I'm going to make you a great nation. Everybody's waiting for that Messiah to come back and put Israel back in its place of prominence and prosperity and success. This is the guy that they're waiting for. And so it becomes really, really important to make that connection to the birth of Christ. And so what Matthew is doing is he's saying, look, Jesus is fulfilling the promise that I made to David. And Matthew is saying Jesus is fulfilling the promise that I made to Abraham. Now, that seems like Matthew's done a pretty good job. So why do I have Luke? What purpose does then Luke serve for us? Well, again, remember, he traces it back to Adam. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to say, who is Jesus's real dad? We know that we know that Joseph, again, is the is listed because he's the son in law. But really, this is Mary's line. And he's saying, ultimately, Jesus' father goes all the way back to God. 
That's who his father really is. And he's doing this because of the miraculous nature of the virgin birth that happens. He says, I'm only listing him to be culturally appropriate. But his real dad was not actually Joseph. It was the spirit that came down and blessed Mary and brought life into her womb. And so by walking this all the way back, he's saying, look, this whole world is being blessed through this birth of Christ. All of humanity, Luke is saying, owes its genealogy back to Adam and Eve and ultimately back to God. And that's much more fitting for a Gentile because, again, they could care less about who Abraham was. They're just trying to understand where does all of this come from? And so why do we have two lists? Because here's the point. From top to bottom, beginning with Jesus or ending with Jesus, Christ is the promised Messiah for us all. These genealogies are designed to show us that it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. These genealogies are designed to show us that it doesn't matter if you're man or woman. These genealogies are designed to show us that whether you are a sinner or think you are a saint, this promised Messiah, this birth of Christ is your Savior. And so what does that mean then for Christmas? Guys, what this is, is a birthday party. This is a birthday party that everyone is invited to. That every one of us gets to attend the greatest celebration in the world. There's a reason why the wise man came and also the shepherd came. Because it didn't matter if you were a prophetic leader or king or you were the out, unclean outcast dealing with the stinky, smelly animals. Every one of you has the right, the privilege, and the joy to come before Christ. So there's a reason why the angels in Luke chapter 10 sing, but the angels said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. Guys, this is good news for everybody. Christmas is not just for the Christians. Christmas was designed for the entire world. It doesn't matter if you live in America. It doesn't matter if you live in India. It doesn't matter if you live in the jungles or the desert. Christmas is a time designed for everyone to understand that this is the promised Messiah. So these lists are identification markers. These lists, again, are Old Testament promises and prophecies that are listed for us to say, yes, this baby checks all of the boxes. This, this little one is our savior. So get out the presents and pop the champagne, guys, because this is what we've been waiting for. And God's promise was fulfilled on Christmas Day. 
Now, there's another list that I want to share before I end this. And this list shows up in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 20. Again, Christ will return. He will establish his kingdom and he will forever deal with his enemies and sin and Satan. And here's what it says. And then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire and the lake of fire is the second death. And anyone's names who was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So there's another list of names. There's a list of names that will be in a book one day. And that list is going to determine what happens for our eternity. That's going to be a list that says either you will enter into the glories of God's presence in the heavenly realms. Or you will be cast down into the fiery lake of hell forever separated by the pain and torment for the rejection of the Messiah, the rejection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's a reason for us to celebrate those of us that know Christ, that we have been spared the perils of hell, that we have been given the joy to be in a relationship with a God that loves us, a God that gave his life for us on the cross. So when we think about this season, my prayer, my prayer is not just that we embrace the joy of what Christmas is, but we utilize the Christmas season to help spread the joy of what it means to have a Savior. That we are able to spread the joy and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because what my prayer is, is that those who don't know Jesus would come to find Jesus and their names would then be written in the book of life as well. Because there is no other name on earth that gets our name into that list. So when we look at the list in Matthew and Luke, every Christmas season... Let's not gloss over it as just a technical detailed piece that God chose to put in there. I want you to embrace this list and understand that again, God made a promise and he fulfilled it to us. And he's being true to that promise and showing us why these lists matter to us. That Abraham was given a promise and Christ was that fulfillment. You know, one scholar wrote it like this, and I like how he said about these lists. He said, this list does three things about Jesus. It demonstrates his human nature. 
It demonstrates his hereditary right, but it also demonstrates his divinity and his divine mission. And what was his mission? That when he came as a little baby, his mission was to give his life and to redeem us from a world of sin and brokenness. So what is Christmas? What is this promise? It's a reminder that all of us who have been excluded are now included of the promise that was given to Abraham. And that promise is yours through faith in Jesus Christ. And that when we give our lives to Christ, our name is now written into one more list, the book of life. Let's pray. Lord, we rejoice over a season that you made a promise and you've kept it. And now we are able to move forward knowing what it means to have a, a savior, knowing what it means to have our sins forgiven, to, to know that your blood has been shed, to know, Father, that, that we don't deserve to be on any list of yours. We don't be able to, to deserve to be listed on any list that identifies that we are your children, but out of your gracious love for us, your blood etches our name into that. And so as we celebrate what Christmas is, and it's a wonderful time, Lord, let us also be consumed with those that are lost and those names who have not been written in it, that we would be willing to share the joy of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ in a time where people are constantly hearing it. Let us take advantage of the season that we have. That those whose lives are destined for peril would be redeemed the way that you have redeemed us. Amen.